Welcome to Opposable Thumbs. Opposable Thumbs is a podcast where Taylor and Rob tackle a new creative challenge every two weeks and talk about our accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. Iteration is our challenge this episode. Thanks to Maddie Vaccaro for that challenge. Yeah, Maddie. And Melissa Potter is our guest this episode. Greetings, Melissa. Hi. Hey, Mel. Great to be here. My name is Rob Ray. I use the he, his gender pronoun, and I'm a designer and run the exoskeleton art space here in Los Angeles. And I'm Taylor Hokinson. I'm an artist, educator, DIY evangelist. Um, uh, you know, you'd think when you do this a lot, you'd get better at it. <laughs> <laughs> You're a noted tall person. I'm a he, his kind of guy. Noted <laughs> tall person, Rob. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Noted yeah. tall person. <laughs> Awesome. Mel, take it away. Oh, uh, so yeah, I mean, I am a feminist and a kind of crappy gardener, a paper maker, curator, writer, maker. And um, I'm really interested right now in climate catastrophe and apocalypse studies. Rad. Before long, everyone's going to have to get really interested in that. Uh, they like say it we're there already, yes. <laughs> uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> it is freaky that you can. I mean, I, I remember, you know, as. We we're old enough to remember being adults and thinking like that sucks and we know it's coming, but really not feeling it on a day to day basis. And it's not like we're on Vanuatu or something and you can feel the water around your ankles. But man, it's even in Chicago, you know, you can tell the weather's different than it used to be. Yeah, I taught a class um, this past semester uh, with University of Chicago in the Global Studies program, and the class was about catastrophe science um, mm-hmm. and climate change and. Um, yeah, we're, we're in deep, deep doo-doo. Um, and this idea of like hope and optimism are really being resisted at this point, um, as sort of a fallacy mm-hmm. for today. And the question now is kind of around how we'll create an ethics for the, you know, for the, for the coming catastrophe. But anyway, that's getting very dark a little too soon, but that's, <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's, it's here. We're here now. Well, Rob, you've you've made a lot of work that uh, deals with the environmental space, yeah? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think... Super fun sites and whatnot. Yeah. I was talking earlier about the pains of maybe being adult, but one of the things I think that's nice about being older is I'm able to re-look at something that maybe feels boring and like try to train myself to be like, maybe it's, maybe it's, there's something interesting there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um Maybe it's because, you know, at this point I've brushed my teeth. You know, I've, I've earned the 10,000 hours of like toothbrushing expertise or whatever it is, you know. <laughs> and so like your brain can just go other places now. Like you just don't have certain things to worry about or whatever anymore. But I mean, for me, that's where my own interest in that comes from. Also skateboarding a ton as a kid, like you ended up just looking at the environment and the world differently. Yeah, that's interesting like weird warehouses or whatever had meaning to you that didn't have meaning to other people because can I thrash that? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. You'd like hang out there and then you'd be like, Oh, let's dig through the dumpster because you got tired of skating or whatever. And then you're like, look at this weird thing in the dumpster. And so like a lot of that, like kind of urban exploration through skating. Well, and you said you grew up in Orlando, Florida. I did. Yeah. I mean, yeah. but you I know, the, the climate there is like outdoor all the time. So, you know, you're, yes. you're, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I spent a lot of my youth indoors because of the northeastern climate. So, oh, yeah, yeah right. Just different, yeah. D- different way of seeing things. I tend to gravitate to people from Florida and California because they're <laughs> the way that their view of the world is just so different from somebody who had like the four seasons and was hauled up inside for long periods of the year. 
Yeah, I was in upstate New York for a couple of years, and mm-hmm. I definitely got ta- I got taught a, a serious lesson, even after living in Chicago for a long time. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Rob, do you think um, are there specific questions you wanted to ask Mel about her work, or do you want to talk through the lens of projects? I do have I do have uh, I have a question about a project that you did called cool. Invisible Makers. Oh yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's a great, really great thing, and I'll do my best to describe it a little bit for folks listening it's a project that takes a sort of classic art history book and kind of re um contextualizes it or or um repurposes it in a way by making a outer cover for the book and also bookmarking the inside of it um which is really super cool and it's a really neat looking book and if you go to melpotter.com you can you can see it there um and my question is is the the book is gardener's art through the ages which was a book i was i was instructed to purchase as a art history student and i was curious how um maybe that book came to you as one to pick if you had a personal experience with the book or, well, the or how it kind of got there. Yeah, it's a great question. The, the project was commissioned by the Museum of Contemporary um, Art, uh, the MCA here in Chicago. And it was part of the um, Carrie James Marshall Mastery Exhibition. Oh, okay. And so okay. they selected artists to respond to Gardner's Art Through the Ages with the idea that wow. it's radically out of date from all kinds yes. of perspectives, you know, race, class, gender, etc. I took the perspective, I've been for a long time been very interested in the work of Sylvia Federici um, and her concepts around invisible labors and sort of Marxist feminism and the ideas of um, labors that make things possible but are never given given credit. And this is something that's sort of chronically the case in fine arts. Um, I'm a collaborating artist and I believe very much that two people do the work of five, not just two. But Mm. the project was really about trying to reveal the laborers that are never recorded in in the book. And so um, through insertions, which were uh, printed on um, transparencies and also bookmarks, I did a sort of secondary history to put in people who maybe were apprentices or craftspeople that had not been credited with the work, but it had they had there been a book on the work, they would be in the colophon, if you know what I mean. And then yeah. that mm-hmm. the, those books were shown outside of the entrance of the Mastery Exhibition, which was really one of the best, most important exhibitions I think that's happened here in Chicago for a while and really cemented, I think, um, Carrie James, James Marshall's masterpiece you know real masterwork um Mm -hmm. and i mean you know he's been lauded for a long time but i think that show was really kind of like coming into home plate on a lot of levels and uh i showed alongside a couple of really cool people some i knew some i didn't but um regin ingloria who um is a wonderful book artist here in the city who i'll be working with this fall actually and um jennifer reader and the tracers group which was a feminist um agitprop group that was in existence a few years years ago and um alexandra Igrebu. um so it was really interesting i think there were eight artists total and i wrapped the book the pink cover is my handmade paper so i kind of inserted myself as a as a maker and a crafter into that conversation it, it made me think about paper making differently you know Thanks. like great like yeah yeah like i mean i i've i've experimented with paper making on my own oh. but um 
but never hmm, never really committed to the practice in a way to be able to think about it differently you know yeah. um where did just, you, you know, where did you experiment tried with it, it out in high school huh. we, uh my high school art teacher was really into paper making and so huh. yeah she really encouraged us to do it and had these like thrifted blenders and stuff and so she really encouraged us to to try it and have fun with it and stuff and that was really neat for for me you know to be able to do and i was really into zines and stuff at the time but yeah. what's funny is like those two worlds never really crossed for me like i never thought like oh i could make my own paper you know like it never i don't know like i never thought about the the making of the paper in a more thoughtful way or sort of as a um as a and in it how I think of it in your work is it's almost as a form of critique, right? Like it's, or about reexamining a work uh, by making a new cover for it. And so that I thought was really cool. Thank you. I appreciate you thinking about that in that way. And um, you know, as a side note, the Columbia college Chicago where Taylor and I are um, has this completely unusual place called the center for book paper and print, which, you know, is in a very interesting historical place that's been at Columbia for 20, approximately 20 years, um, that specializes in these intersections of like book printmaking and, and hand paper making as media. So oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Let's say, Rob, let's see a thing. I have a project. Yeah. I love the idea of young punk Rob or young punk anybody realizing that they are just completely um, non-cynically interested in paper making. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and how you would just ta- beautiful. take that moment and sort of turn the corner. And then does that, like, is punk a kind of magic trick where it can't exist if you examine it too carefully? Because if you care, then you don't care not, if you don't care too much or not enough, you know what I'm saying? Or is that just an outsider's misunderstanding of how punk operates? Yeah. I mean, I had a, um, I mean, I, I think in some ways I was more influenced by like the American hardcore movement, uh, Mm. than like a classic punk ideology with some exception, like maybe later punk, like crass in the UK and stuff was important for me. And like post-punk, like gang of four and stuff was important to me too. But, um, I mean, and I was like a straight edge kid too. And so like, there was a lot of caring happening. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just about to say there's like there's definitely an earnestness, especially in hardcore. Yes. I, I knew a lot yes. of the folks who were involved in the DC core scene, and oh, um, awesome. Yeah, yeah. and uh, there was so much earnestness. And papermakers are like the most earnest people in the world. So it'd be really interesting to like get some hardcore papermakers together and yes. do something really weird there. This is beautiful. I'm really enjoying um, looking at this. I'm not exactly sure what I'm looking at, but it's really interesting. And I can tell there's something mathematical. It also looks like um, a weaving pattern. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, can you describe mm-hmm. it visually for the uh, listening audience? Well, first of all, there's, you know, it's like, it's got, it's sort of like a spreadsheet kind of a thing. And it's got beautiful, beautiful colors. Um and so it's almost like an Excel. There's visual art, music, zines, A-U-G-H. I don't know what that is. Dead tech, exoskeleton, <laughs> shimmering trash pile, opposable thumbs. There's my toddler. Um, uh, awesome. And then uh, let's see. So just to throw in a guess about Rob's image, um, mm-hmm. another piece of information 
contained there. So we, we have all of the, along the vertical axis, or axis rather, are all the um, areas that Mel described. And then horizontally, there's 89, 99, 09, and 19. Um, so I'm just going to go out on a limb and suggest that those are decade yep. mm-hmm. demarcations. Yeah. <laughs> and you can see Rob has kind of charted his progression um, away from certain things. Like, for example, Dead Tech operates this middle space. That's a, um, a new media gallery Rob used to run in um, Chicago wow. for about 10 years. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm. And you can see that most things persist, although there's a distinct gap between about 2010 and 15, maybe in visual arts. But then you get things like um, opposable thumbs. And I know that Shimmering Trash Pile is something you've just started working on, so you're going to have to tell us more about what that is. But mm-hmm. I'm assuming that's what the video describes. <laughs> yeah, does does that grid, Does it? Is there anything, there's another aspect to the grid. Oh, oh, oh right, right, right where you've associated each of those pursuits with um, different um, uh, things that you might have a synthesizer play, like the hi-hat <laughs> or the snare. That's great. And so, yeah, so maybe we're going to see like a backing track or something that describes uh, musically your um, your pursuits over decades. So, so yeah, so now the video might, might have a little bit more uh, teeth to it. Yeah, let's play from the beginning and we can comment it. We'll have it playing in the background of the... Uh, okay. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, three, two, one, go. Yeah! <laughs> Got kind of like a jungle thing going on. Oh, so, Rob, those glasses. Nice. I just got my stove installed after wanting to install it for like two years or three years or something really insane. Uh, it finally happened. I had to work with a plumber to get the gas line run. Uh, and the install was... Too boring to record, but... So, Rob, you're not going to install your own gas lines? <laughs> no. Too hardcore? <laughs> yeah. My punk badges. I'm really hung up on how awesome your hair is. It's pretty awesome. It's working pretty good that day. Uh, so I think I'm going to try Dan Benjamin's Bacon Method, which is... Uh, he has a website called, I think it's baconmethod.com, maybe? Um, anyway, it's just a pan... Bacon, lay it out in the pan, put the oven on 400 degrees, don't preheat it, put it in, wait 20 minutes, and it's done. So we'll see how it goes. I've never done it before, but it seemed like a cool experiment to try in a new oven that I've never used before. Hopefully I'll be eating bacon soon. Clearly, I don't know what I'm doing. This this stove looks like it's from like 1910. There's fire in there. It, it is. <laughs> 20 minutes. We'll see. Three, two, one. <laughs> wow. Ooh, bacon grease. I'm going to give it two more minutes.
So I'm really stoked that I have an oven. Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to D. Iverson. He's the uh, programmer who made the JavaScript drum machine that I used at the beginning of the video. <laughs> Dennis has released over 200 projects on the programmer sharing site github.com. Yep, and you GitHub can check out the neat stuff reference. Mel, have you ever gotten involved in GitHub at all? No. Mm -mm. Oh, man, I think you would really yeah. dig it. Because I, well, I feel like you're you're kind of working in that open source ethic without being necessarily techie in the same digital mm -hmm. way, right? Um, so GitHub is a place where you know traditionally you're just sharing code, but then people have used it. Um, local artists, um, Jessica Westbrook and Adam Trowbridge, took some sort of seminal text about home abortion procedures whoa, and shared it whoa, on wow. our platform. Wow. Does that ring a bell? It Do you know does, which one that actually. Is? It does. I can't remember where I heard about it, but it does ring a bell. And uh, it's a really great time for us, and hopefully it would be cool. This is a too. really charming so, video. Uh, that's it. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. 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 <laughs>yeah I think Rob I'm reacting particularly <laughs> to the way that um you're working off this open source project that you name checked where you can plot out um visually in a grid with either blue squares or white squares whether or not the um uh the sample that's identified in that horizontal row yeah is gonna get triggered or not as the playhead scrubs across the uh the the text you'll get a sort of like a little experimental music uh busting out of there yeah i wanted to use the drum machine as like a visual device instead of a pure audio device which is how people mm -hmm. kind of think of drum machines right one thing i do find really interesting looking at this as a kind of like well it is it's like an infographic visual art music and zines are the bulk of what you've done throughout the decades yes yeah so so the challenge is iteration, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the ways iteration came up as a topic in an earlier episode was talking about uh, parts of your practice where you make a thing over and over and over again yeah, to become, yeah. mm -hmm. to develop ma mastery or something. And I was, I was lamenting that I rarely do that. Like, I feel like I jump around all the time. And so, um, and then I was like, well, maybe jumping around all the time is a, a type of iteration, you know, like that you're kind of reinventing or kind of re going back to skills that you had developed in the past and then deploy them differently through a different mm. creative channel or something. I totally am on board with that idea. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So I decided in this first image to think about my life as a pattern, as a drum machine pattern. So things are like my creative life really as a, as a pattern. And so I sort of like did a tear down of what that is and, made the look bait most basic elements of a drum kit, the hi-hat, the snare and the kick, like the big groups, like visual art, music and zines, and then took projects that have sort of popped in and out of my life. And some of them happen and then sort of don't happen. And some of them kind of come back, uh, or maybe will come back, you know? And then I, I wanted to map the new project, which is I'm calling shimmering trash pile, um, as a new sound in the drum machine, um, that only gets the very last, little cell of the drum machine lit up nice. because that's the first video that you're seeing. Cool. So I wonder what would happen with your creative pr process. If you, if you knew what hi-hat was now, so on different days of the week, you could only <laughs> work on hi-hat projects in <laughs> order to make a, like an actual beat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You could, you could make a song through. Yeah. Yeah. Like you could map the song out in the drum machine 
and that was your to-do list for the week. <laughs> I gotta, Dude, I gotta the, know though. Where did yeah. the name "Shimmering Trash Pile" come from? I wanted it to have it be more fantastical than a name I would typically pick, but also visually evocative, mm-hmm. uh, because I have been. Taylor knows I've been lamenting over the past couple of years about how I don't think my work is that could be more visually strong or like have a more rich color palette or something. So I wanted that to be a part of the name as well. And then I just like trash piles. So it is Mm -hmm. a highly evocative uh, title. So bravo on that. Yeah. Thanks. I think no one will remember it, which was, but that's fine. You know, it's the internet, right? No one remembers anything anymore. But the name, I think it's a memorable name. Yeah, I do too. I guess it depends on what you do with it. It it also sounds like a performer's name. I feel like yes, yeah, you need to take this out in public and um, you know, get arrested or something. Yes, yeah, (laughs) totally, totally, yeah, yeah. So that's my my iteration is both a life iteration and then a music and video one maybe as well. Beautiful, red. Your your video technique is really coming up. You've been you've been doing a lot of video and and keeping after it and I'm I'm digging how you're building an aesthetic there. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's um video editing is hard. Now I realize anyone who's ever edited video before knows that, but <laughs> I always forget. It's like, "Oh, I can I can edit that tonight." And then you're like no. 4 days later, you're like, "Ooh." <laughs> so, Mel, may may we peek at your at your material? So the, you guys are both actually in um, in receipt of material. You know, Rob presented a challenge because I couldn't mail him the final product. So what I did was I mailed um, I mailed Rob the stuff that makes what Taylor is now going to drink. So oh. do you have it? Do you have it there, Taylor? So I've been working with Julie Feller. On this uh, class I'm teaching this semester, blue collar fashion. Yeah. So she was teaching me how to make a jumpsuit today, oh. and um, I totally had my nose down in it, and then had to run out of the building. And so I opened the company fridge and grabbed out the thing. There were a whole bunch of containers in there that could have been what Mel was talking about. Oh, really? Because <laughs> so, it was empty this morning, well, or just about. Yeah, a whole bunch of people came in there and put like three week old milk in it oh, and stuff, shit. and so. I just want to make sure it's a big mason jar with a gold cap, right? Yep. And this isn't like a, ur- a urine that's sample. That's it. Yep. It's like, yeah, a bloody okay. urine sample. There you go. That's yours. So, that's what you're drinking. So, yeah, so I've got a giant um, bottle of this stuff. The um, It's got this great homemade look where a, na- a label has never touched this glass. And then yep. the cap has all these dents all over it. So this is like... <laughs> This is the yeah. the real the real deal. Yeah. Nobody just bought this thing and stuck it in the fridge. I'm opening it up. I'm going to give it a big sniff. And it's um so I I have a really dull palate. Let me Oh. I'm getting kind of a <laughs> kind of hyper uh, hyperventilating here. You still breathing? Yeah, so I feel like it smells slightly like grape juice to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. And a little old. Yes. I'm going to taste it. Um, I don't know why I expected it to be a little fizzy. I was assuming. Did you, did, you didn't get any fizz on that? 
Oh, is there supposed well, to be? Well, there's a little bit. You know, he's like, it's, it's subtle. It's subtle. One of the things that I expect from sort of the homegrown um, drinks is that they have a super aggressive flavor like, you know, moonshine or, or you know, full of sugar like limoncello or whatever. But this is just really pleasant and light. Well, good. Yeah, it's subtle. I mean, this was the first batch. So, and then mm-hmm. Rob, you got your package, right? I have a box right here. Yeah. Okay. Did you open it up? <clears throat> yeah, it's it's a small box. It's maybe um, about three by five, like an index card size box. Mm-hmm. And the address, the from address is Seymom, S-E-Y-M-O-M, from Angelo, Texas. <clears throat> and I open it up, and inside there's <laughs> a, a plastic bag, and there is... Inside that plastic bag is another Ziploc bag <laughs> with na- uh, some amber gelatinous um, um, beads. Yeah, that's exactly what they look like. Yep. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. And they seem Mel- to be... Mel, if I drink this whole thing in one sitting, is that problematic? No, it's good for you. Good. I'm, I'm really into the magic elixirs these days. Um, uh. So were there any directions that came from came with that, Rob? No, it just there's just a business card in here. Hilarious. Oh, it says go to... Oh, it's Posymom. Yeah, Posymom, that's right. She hooks me up with my kombucha scoby. So I went with her because oh. she could get stuff to you in time. The other one, which yeah. would have been so cool for you, comes from Florida. It's this like really weird oh. company from Florida. That would have been very apropos. But um, Posymom could deliver on time. Awesome. I, d- I did realize now that the card says... I apologize. The card says... Go to posymom.com for your free instructions, you but I, I did not do that, okay. but I can do that now. Oh, you want to go ahead and do that and then tell us what tell us what it is? Yeah. Do that. Yeah, let's Posymom. Okay. It's spelled P-O-S-E-Y-M-M-O-M.com, Taylor, for your typing um, pleasure. I'm uh, coming oh. through right now. Oh. Pro- probiotics. Yep. We're Introducing getting Introducing new probiotic kits. Okay, I'm scrolling down. Oh. This might be it. What, is but it? this is not kombucha, nope, right? But it, it's in the is, same vein. Is this vein. Wa- water kefir? Oh my God, you got it. Boom. Yay. It's yeah. water kefir, yeah. And um, I was doing milk kefir for a oh. while and decided I wanted to try out something um, more vegan friendly because I mm-hmm. pretend to be mm-hmm. vegan about two times a year, um, usually around the... Uh, January make your resolutions time of year. But um, I have been enjoying uh, doing this kind of brewing. And I taught a class this past semester called multiples, which uh, was really Uh fun. I had new media students and book and paper students. So I wanted all the students to think very broadly about what a multiple could be. And so it kind of Mm. started as a joke. I was like, you know, kefir is a, is a multiple. It iterates. I mean, that's what the bacteria does is it iterates. And so, yeah. So we were at the Newberry library, which is this very formal uh, library Mm -hmm. of rare books. And the woman was like, so what do you mean multiples? And I was like, well, you know, what do you guys think? And one of my students said, well, Mel, do you want to tell her about the kefir? I'm like, oh, she'll probably think I'm crazy. But I think of multiples being iterations in the broadest sense. So Rob, I was kind of turned on by the idea 
that you had about um, iteration being something that you do lots of different things, not just the same thing all the time. I like to think mm-hmm, very broadly mm-hmm. about what an iteration is, but but these little guys are iterating, and then you know, so Rob, you're you're set and ready for takeoff. So all you have to do is buy some brown sugar. And you okay. can start your water kefir today or tomorrow. Oh. And then, um, Taylor, I'm going to give you some mm-hmm. kefir from my batch because I know you like brewing yes. and you do you do this kind of stuff. But I didn't want to give it to mm-hmm. you because it would give away the surprise, right? So I wanted you guys to put it together, uh, you know, when we were talking. But um, yours is flavored with elderberry. So it brewed for five days. Mm-hmm. And then I brewed mm-hmm. it for another day with elderberry dried fruit and that's what gives it it's kind of grapey you know berry like flavor Uh, so you can flavor it with lots of cool things and you know there's a whole cult following on this stuff which i kind of love it's all these sort of a lot of the people who are into like survivalism and and conspiracy uh theories are really into like kombucha will fix anything you will never right, die yeah. if you drink kombucha. But uh, the water kefir is a, a very excellent probiotic and a health elixir. And I think it, I do actually think it's um, very good for the immune system. Although I'm not sure what I base that on. But um, yeah, but so yeah, so you guys are, are ready to go with some water kefir. That's oh, cool. Right here it says that um, it's, it's not actually supposed to get fizzy unless you do a second fermentation. <laughs> So did you, I did the elderberry not, not well, required. Well, the elderberry mm-hmm. was a second fermentation, and maybe I could have done it I for see. a couple more days. So any ferment, any kind of um, fizziness you get is from that. I, I did it for twenty four hours. So the elderberry. Okay. Well, the, this this lid has also seen some shit. It has seen so, some you know, serious shit. I'm really into recycling <laughs> and reusing. I'm very puritanical that way, coming from a very puritan waspy background. Like you never throw anything away, and you fix your sweaters mm-hmm. when they get moth holes. And oh, uh, I'm I'm halfway done with it. Don't get me yeah. wrong. <laughs> no, I know, but my stuff. I'm like, we're gonna put this into the washing machine, and it'll be good as new. So it'll be that's fine. What you got? Yeah, yeah. that's great. Mm-hmm. I only know of the. I guess the dairy, mm-hmm. like the dairy, it's, I think of it as like right. a yogurt drink where it's not as mm-hmm. thick as yogurt, but it has a yogurt style, um, kind of taste and Yeah. Texture. And I brew that too. Um, okay. it's, uh, it's fabulous. The thing is, is that, you know, this stuff, I don't know, Taylor probably has something to say about this brewing, but it gets kind of like hectic cause it's like, Oh shit. You know, I've got my kefir and I totally forgot to like, you know, change it out or what. I mean, you know, it's like it's a job like plants or a cat or whatnot. But um, sure. sometimes I forget my kefir, but I I use that, too. And um, it apparently has more strains of friendly bacteria. Thank you for this great package. I will. Um, I will. Uh, well, I, I super you know I goes. super appreciate the opportunity to do it. I think it was like I had the experience that you guys want and I think is really happening with opposable thumbs where, you know, it's this great space to try something that I've been wanting to do yes. for a while and I just had to sit down and commit to it. It was great. That's awesome. Taylor, should we take a look at your project? Please do. These are toolish, but it looks like a digital doodad. Um, mm-hmm. A caliper? Is that a caliper? But it looks like yep, a digital yep. caliper. 
right? Yeah. Um, it's got systems of measurement. I'm like, wow, why are we already up at 150? Oh, it's millimeters. I'm an inches mm. person. And then I see two very beautiful gear doodad things. In image number two, I see this gear and it's like, it's, uh, and then I see the same collet type thing. And then I see what looks to be almost like a cutoff wheel or something that is the same. The gear is maybe, uh, there's like a nut, there's like a drill bit in here. So I think the gear is maybe four inches wide. Uh, Mel, what would you think of that? Is that about right? Yeah. Think, looking to you. Yeah, you maybe five. Just based on yeah, wood grain. Five. Yeah. Five mm-hmm. inches. Yep. And then there's like a, it looks to be a drill bit. It's like a three sixteenths or maybe eighth inch or slightly bigger <laughs> drill bit. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. Well, Rob, here's the, here's the kicker. What's the, uh, what's the thread measurement on the uh, machine? Screen? Oh, stop. I'd say it's an, 832. 632. Oh, 632. Shoot. Anyway, what looks like is happening is Taylor is laying out for us some sort of process that he's going to do. The gear is really interesting because who knows what could be attached to it, right? It could be a, it's not a bicycle chain gear. It's much more chunky than that. Um, The spur gear. Four or five. And it has about 20 teeth. And I'm guessing, yeah, these things go together so that in three, we're starting to see some, um, it looks like the holes were made bigger, maybe? With mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, it's a pretty picture. Mel, is that a drill press, do you think, that he has, or just a hand drill that he's holding in one hand? It is an interesting question. I realized something. What I thought was a, what I thought was a cutoff wheel, I think, is a thing that maybe Taylor... Maybe it's MDF that Taylor has lasered or something into yep. into formation. Ooh. Oh yeah! And what we're seeing oh, yeah. is maybe the holes yeah, yeah. in the gear are going to line up with this disc that he's created there we go. for some sort of mounting purpose or something. The uh, the hub that you guys were calling the collet mm-hmm. that's oh, steel, hub. but then the gear yes. is plastic. Nice. Oh, golly! It looks like a flower. I thought for sure that was metal. Yeah, it's got a really nice teeth, right? Like the. The gear teeth is not a it's not a pointy triangle like when I think of a classic gear teething toothing whatever it's not pointy it's like almost yeah it's like kind of bulbous each of the each of the teeth now Rob oh. I think you're gonna have to describe five because now it's like full okay. full luddite in action here I'm like oh no it's There's, computer bits we've we've entered the world of electronics yeah. for sure yep yep we see a couple of things. Those little screw down, these those green screw downs. I don't ever remember what those are called, but and we Terminals. see yes, thank you, and we see power coming in one side because that's the telltale red and black, and one of them, the black is labeled ground, so I'm feeling good about that one. And then maybe the other two. When I think of pairs, I often think of like a stereo pair for audio, but this could be motor control or something, especially nice. because because I'm, job, I'm thinking about the gears, and I'm thinking yeah. about why the gears why we would pivot from gears to electronics, but that's I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Okay. Oh, do you want to do uh image number six, Melissa? It's a train going to nowhere, but it looks like there's like a track or something. It does um, look like a train. Going oh my nowhere. God. Does huh. it make something move? That's what I'm guessing. Um, oh, if we zoom in on the image, there's some more text on the that's front. That's very smart thinking. Let's see. Power supply. Power supply. It's a big DC power supply. Okay. Okay. 
which I know those those are, can be heavy. But and they got this track system, which is totally adorable. What's yep. so what's up with that? Then there's like I also see gears on the uh, outside on one side, not gears, teeth, or I don't know, something like that. Um, those are like wheels on the bottom. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Have you hit play on the mm -hmm. video yet? Okay, cool. I'll do the same. And there's the oh, gear. Yeah. I see the gear is back. Simple move. Yep, the gear is back. Beautiful. Super impressive. Yeah, there's a, tr a third rail kind of mm -hmm. right on the track. Mm -hmm. And the third rail is a, f there's a name for that, but it's like a flat toothed bar mm -hmm. that runs parallel to the other two tracks. And this gear that Taylor had shown us before is toothed into that track. So as the motor turns back and forth, the teeth ride along this kind of rail, this third rail. And we have a very slow-moving train. I wonder where this is going. In terms of iteration, I returned to a project from a previous podcast that I really liked oh. where um, I was taking this uh, video of a corpse that had been cut into really thin slices. Oh. It's like a scientific um, movie yes. that sort of shows you the different slices of the body. And then I was taking that movie and playing it on my phone while dragging it through space at a consistent rate of speed, and then taking a long exposure photograph with a second camera so I could kind of rebuild the digital image in space as a 3D object. Um, and so I'd always wanted to do that more consistently, so I was thinking about you know little devices that I could make that were just phone-sized, right? They could kind of drag that thing through space but then I thought, well, if you're going to go through the process of making something that can pull something through space, like you may as well go for something large. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so I did a bunch of research. It was also something I'd been meaning to do for a long time, research on running higher amperage stepper motors. Um, so the more oomph a stepper motor has, you know, generally the more complicated the circuitry that's needed to drive it. So this is just driven off of a Raspberry Pi, hmm. um, which is a pretty, you know, small <clears throat> portable computer. And so I can call into the Raspberry Pi um, over the wireless network and then instruct it to make different moves that I can code um, through C++. Hmm. And then I was researching, you know, how can I find a really long linear actuator that doesn't cost, you know, to make one of these for a CNC machine, it might cost, you know, five grand or something to get this long rack gear made out of steel. Rack but, gear. That's what the flat yeah. bar is called. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. But the, the one that I got was for an automated gate, like for a, a security gate for a parking oh, yeah. structure. Mm -hmm. And so it's a nylon rack gear. And then I had to um, interface it with the existing stepper motor shafts that I have. Uh, which were considerably smaller. So, so the first the um, pictures were just about one little piece of the research, which had to do with going from a seven eighths um, shaft to a three eighths shaft. Uh -huh. uh, uh -huh. And then there was also a whole bunch of research around these motor controllers that can handle uh, three amps worth of stepper motor juice, which is not all that common in the hobbyist area. Mm -hmm. It's a, um, it's a lot, to, right? I would think of that as a lot, right? Three amps? Yeah, and, and that's three amps. It's what's known as RMS, or root mean square. Let, let me tell you, the um, I, I did a lot of <laughs> research on this one. So a lot of um, stepper motor drivers will talk about the peak amps they can handle, but what you really care about is the, gener you know, the um, effectively the average power it's going to drop. 
Taylor, could you re-describe the initial project that was the inspiration? Because I remember the result, but I've forgotten now. Right. So, so imagine that you take um, a shape like a like a cone, and the cone is oriented in such a way where the big cylindrical base is on the ground. It's okay. facing down, mm-hmm. like a street cone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then imagine taking um, slices of that thing that are perpendicular or rather parallel to the ground. So the first slice would be a circle, and so would the second slice, but it would be slightly smaller as you moved up the um, the vertical axis of the cone until you just get to a point at the top. I see. Yeah, the donuts get smaller as you go mm-hmm. from the base of the cone up to the top. Okay, yep. Right, and then now imagine making that into a video or effectively just a slideshow that plays by itself, and then you play that thing on a screen like your cell phone, and you start with the cell phone on the ground facing up, and then you slowly move the phone up into the air while you're taking a long exposure photograph from a second camera. And so what you would wind up doing is effectively printing in light that cone in an actual space. So the ultimate size is going to be about 18 feet, but I can make the size as big as I want. Wow. Um, from a different older podcast episode, I also restored a 44-inch TV. Wow. Um, that's right so i should be able to set the tv on the platform oh. i'm gonna have to build a bigger one um this was just a <laughs> test platform so i set the tv on there and then go install this like in a public park or something and then i set up a camera and photograph it while it's pulling back in space and showing a bunch of different images that are slices of a 3d object oh so this is effectively how 3d printing is done except that the slices are deposited as plastic mm-hmm. or whatever yes. mm-hmm. So in this way, you know, I can make any 3D model in Rhino, and then I can kind of print that object out in an in an actual tangible space, but the object is only perceivable through the medium of the long format um, camera exposure. Wow. So I like the way that it's still virtual on the front and virtual on the back, but the in-between stage requires that I go to an actual space and do it there. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. really interesting. Thanks. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. So it's a small gauge train for a TV set. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that yeah. rides along. Okay. Wow. Is that motor controller from uh, Pololu? It's not. And yeah, oh. so so that's one of the big ones. Um, Pololu gives out around two amps RMS and they tend to have these little teeny tiny things that you just look at it and you think, well, that just can't possibly run such a big motor. Um, so when I got this board, you know, the chip that does the work is still pretty, pretty small, but I think they're just improving the technology that yeah. allows them to gate high amperage without just melting out the parts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then there's, so if you look, there's a link to, for anyone that's interested technically, there's a link through to my website where I just did this whole page of research about stepper motors and stepper motor function. And I've been working with this stuff for years and years, but never really knuckled down and tried to actually get the research done. Hmm. And so this kind of lays it out for people that want to follow in the same footsteps. Like if you want to do this, you're not just buying a motor and saying, well, you know, this controller looks like it's big enough. It actually shows you how to read the data sheets and, um, and figure all that stuff out officially. That's awesome. I have a project that I want to do that is in this realm. So I'm yeah. I'm gonna. You should use the exact same thing I just did because man, I could, I know it top to bottom now. I will. That's so at, cool. At, at great pain. <laughs> it's cool that you iterated off of one a previous podcast challenge, and now it seems like too there's 
a few more iterations that could happen after this to uh yeah i gotta see if i can force uh, mel's challenge to uh let me keep working. On yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yep. you know, I uh, yep. I'm amazed. You guys really have a pretty hefty library of um, experiments at this point with opposable thumbs. Congratulations! Oh yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's really fun to look back at because you just in the blur of doing them, you know, you you just not that you forget about them, but you just forget that they exist, yeah. and then you're like, oh yeah, I forgot I made that thing. So it's fun. You can find photos of our finished projects over at our project site, which is called projects.opposablepodcast.com. We will also have links in our show notes, and we also post cool stuff in our Instagram account, which is opposable underscore podcast. We would like to send you an opposable thumb sticker. If you share a podcast episode on social media or rate us on iTunes or something like that, whatever it is, uh, we will mail you a sticker. Just let us know that you did it. Um, either at our Instagram account, which is opposable underscore podcast or at our email, which is opposable podcast at gmail.com uh and a shout out to wolf mask who is the person who designed our logo which is what is on our sticker it's a really cool neon thumb wrestlers logo that i love every time i see it so thank you wolf mask um oh we have a new patreon supporter wesley ellis thank you wesley for helping us out on patreon that's super cool um and we'd also like to give a shout out to Adam Ayer, Deb Chatra, Blondie Hacks, Nick Kantar, Walter Kutundu, and David Bellhorn as our top Patreon supporters. Thanks for helping us out. And thanks to all of our other Patreon supporters who help at, at any level, whether it's a dollar or two or five or ten. Um, if you'd like to join them in our League of Patreon supporter badasses, please go to patreon.com slash opposable thumbs to sponsor us. Anything you donate really helps. Our podcast is dedicated to providing a harassment-free experience for everyone, regardless of race, gender, age, sexual orientation, disability, physical appearance, body size, knowledge of subject matter, or religion, or lack thereof. We actively support an inclusive environment, and we want you to be a part of it. And you can check out our full code of conduct over at our site. Melissa, is there anything you have coming up or anything that you want to share with audience that they should know about whether it's a an event you have a thing you're doing or just a thing you enjoy yeah thank you for that opportunity um well sure. i'm about to launch a book called an illuminated feminist seed bank which um is a print on demand publication about five years of my collaboration with maggie puckett um in the papermaker's garden which was located on 8th and wabash um so that uh we did a fundraiser for that this summer and that is set to launch basically any minute now. Um, Great. Yeah. And uh, then I also have um, a manifesto, which is going to be published, um, another collaboration with Nisa Page Lieberman. Um, It's called the Feminist Social Practice Manifesto, charting the connection between feminism and socially engaged art. So those are two things on my horizon right right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Thanks. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. I um, I have two things that are both kind of goofy, sadly. But one of them is, is incredibly useful and one of them is fascinating. Um, the, there's a website called PC Part Picker that has been recommended to me by uh, multiple people. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen this website before. And, and partially because I, I haven't... I used to be a person who, who built my own computers, you know, like, like wanting to get the parts I liked and that sort of thing. But I've been kind of checked out on that for a number of years. And I decided I'm doing some work that requires... Um, a kind of beefy video card. This is uh, my work life. And, and I was like, well, you know, I, it would be nice to be able to do maybe incorporate some of this thinking and work into my creative practice around like augmented reality and stuff. And I was like, I just don't have the right computer for it. So 
if um, it used to be pretty kind of simple in a way to figure out what parts you needed to get and how much they cost. But because of Bitcoin and all these other things, graphics cards have become incredibly expensive and yep. and very complicated. Like there's just a million of them out there that you could possibly get. Um, and PCPartPicker.com is this really cool website where people share different configurations that they've built. And so, and they're named really nicely, like, like entry level gaming system or something like that. And so you can yeah. kind of understand video build. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can really understand. It helps you kind of understand like, okay, like, yeah, that's the type of computer I would like. And you can get a sense of price and just different things like that. It's very useful. Um, but one of the things that is kind of funny is people post, you know, the photos of the computers that they build. And some of them are so hilarious. Wow. Um, and awesome and just um uh some of them are very 2018 i'll put it that way <laughs> like, like the one one of them that i found was this really elaborate very expensive one that is lit all in like purple lavender leds and in <laughs> the in the case is clear on the inside and inside the case are all of these um like poker chips oh my god <laughs> oh, you get you gotta post a link to that picture yeah, yeah, right? yeah. You still uh, get it? yeah i post it honestly yeah, I, it. I think yeah. i'm looking okay, at good. it right now I, is that oh. possible yeah it's like it's sure yeah, yeah no it's gorgeous i mean it's totally maybe it's gorgeous. a thing where people put poker chips in their computer now but this is a hoot but i'm man. sure you're looking at the right one bling bling this is a yeah, hoot check that out vegas is it, battle station is it called vegas battle station yeah it sure is yeah <laughs> Oh man, there's not that many poker chips in there. If this guy was trying to show off, that thing should be like s- spilling over. It's not spilling over. No, it's 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 um maybe tastefully applied pile of poker chips yeah. at the bottom. <laughs> this is a really I wild website, real. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh I like God. it. I like that it's both like very, very, very practical in a way, but also like gives you this really interesting insight into people's creativity or like mm-hmm. thinking about mm-hmm. their computer, which is just a weird, some of them are pretty you know, straightforward. Yeah. All, all business. And mm-hmm. yeah, some of them are a little bit more, um, stretch out a little bit. And then the second thing I have is a video called Taylor. You may know this one. I don't know. Phase functioned neural networks for character control. What? I'll post a link to it in Slack. Mm. And it's, um, I think you'll both enjoy it. Is this like how to get him to walk with a naturalistic walk cycle or something? Yes. Like I'm three sips away from finishing this entire water kefir, and I'm kind of nervous. <laughs> well, that's cool. So there's sort of a, there's like the classic um, neutral territory of a gray uh, checkerboard mm-hmm. that a partially rendered character, like an all gray character is running around on, but they're sort of, yeah, it's really amazing. Yeah, but they're so, like revolutionary. You know, they're like revolutionary <laughs> war characters. Yes. What the hell? Yeah, well, it's like a tricorner hat. Yeah. What the hell? It is pretty incredible, though. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, like it, it doesn't immediately jump out as being amazing. But basically, they're leading the character around, so the character is induced to follow a dot towards a certain, you know, distance. But then that um, destination point is constantly changing. And so instead of there just being, you know, an animation for walking and an animation for running and that's it, the character kind of like uses their muscles correctly and has to stop and turn tightly and 
shuffle sideways or like walk up a larger step and a smaller step. It's actually really amazing. Well, maybe it's because <laughs> I don't look at a lot of this. Um, it just is so beautiful. I mean, it's really yes. bizarre yeah. the way they've yeah. yes. you know chosen this like figure that's yellow standing on a, a checkerboard, a gray checkerboard, but it's stunningly beautiful. I mean, the, the stills of these images are very, very intriguing. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's like a, uh, a yeah, revolutionary war hero kind of quote-unquote style person with a tricorner hat um, running around on like a checkerboard pattern. It really reminded me of like the prisoner. Do you know, do you, I don't know if you ever saw that like British TV show oh, yeah, yeah. from the 60s because it's very like... It's Giant almost bubble. very like 2001 A Space Odyssey yeah. aesthetic, like very bleak, shiny. Yeah. But then there's this like ridiculous character running around and jumping over things and stuff. Anyway. Beautiful. Imagine what it would look like if it were like, instead of the Revolutionary War dude, Gloria Steinem, trekking through yeah. this, this <laughs> yes. area. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we can get the source code and make it Gloria Steinem. I like yeah. it. Hack it. Go ahead yeah. and hack it. Yeah. Maybe running opposite from the mouse pointer, so then yeah. it's like I'm not following yeah, exactly, you. Right? <laughs> yeah. 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 The the only thing I've got is, um, and Mel will get a kick out of this, but I finally have an edit from this artist talk I did oh, recently. God. Yes. Um, oh, mercy. So during my talk, we our wireless uh, speakers got stomped on by a local show tunes rehearsal. And so, you know, somebody was like, uh, blah, 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 blah. And they were kind of out of key. And uh, it was only one of the parts of many people. And um, and eventually I just had to shout over the entire thing. So so I was kind of back and forth about whether or not to release it because the students responded so positively and they just couldn't <laughs> believe that I didn't, you know, like fold up in tears or something. And then a lot of people, Mel included, were saying like, we, you know, we thought potentially that that was, am I remembering right, Mel? You thought that maybe I was just doing it as a joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Performative lecture. It yeah. was, it was over the top. It was over the top. I did an audio bumper up front to say like, listen, we're just going to leave all the weirdness in to an extent uh, because it's a more honest depiction than me just redoing the talk to an empty room, which didn't feel. Yeah like like a good solution so i've posted a link to that as well i also offered to sing for you so or actually i think that was your idea for me to you know do a little broadway show tune i mean the thing that was so bizarre about this is that the songs went from soup to nuts but one of them was like you know your classic i've got rhythm i've got music i mean it was really (laughs) yeah it, it was really hard not to crack up i was like so pissed on your behalf um but yeah it was crazy well you know thank you guys again i just want to say like it was a really great experience i know we still have like the reveal right i'm supposed to give you the next theme right yeah yeah. no problem i mean can i just do that thank you oh yeah no it was was awesome i really appreciate this a lot um so the next theme is survival oh yeah all right Oh, man. Rob, you'll be able to sink your teeth into that one for I'm sure. I'm excited for this one already. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, oh, and if I if I think I remember, I I think we make a habit of not really talking about who the next guest is, just in case it doesn't pan out. But I think that they will have an interesting take on that cool. one. They will. Yep. Yeah, yep. For sure. Very cool. Uh, wow. Nice. Oh, and the one word. I, I love the one word ones. Yeah, really get they stretch your legs a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you? Um, did survival come to you through the through the 
thinking you were doing for the podcast or did it come come to you through some other means in your survival life? um comes through uh the conversations around climate catastrophe and a lot yeah, of the reading okay. i've been doing so you know i've been like looking at um mm-hmm. survival garden seed banking and you know it gets into some pretty weird territory with the survival lists yeah, yeah. but um but it's to me survival is just it's it's a great metaphor for many many different things so Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm. I'm a. I'm a fan of, and I mean that in a weird sort of maybe anthropological way. I'm. A, I'm a fan of like prepper culture. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Well, it's, it was interesting because the woman that I was teaching with, Larissa Yasharovich, down at um, UFC, actually resisted survive the survival culture because it's extremely macho, and so we went Very, kind of yeah. more a material Very. feminist route and so I'm I'm broad in my thinking on it but I too am kind of fascinated with prepper um culture it's you know it's kind of a return to something I find kind of fascinating yeah 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 it's very very macho and also very like capitalist mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like how many how many water containers can you buy yeah, or like right, you know like right. did you buy the best knife for when the nuclear apocalypse <laughs> happens it's like well really any knife will Is do it a cut- <laughs> Oh, knife. Like, yes. No, I, it's, yeah, yeah right, totally. Right. Totally. Okay, boy. Yeah. 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 It's cute and funny and sad yeah. at yeah. the same time. <laughs> it's got to be a German word for that. And they did compress their audio with PCM lossless. <laughs> and yay, it was good. 